tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Ben. My name is Noel. This is a, an interesting kind of tradition, more traditional way to start the show. You threw me for a loop there. Yeah, I, uh, it, it took it hard. Somebody, somebody remembered you guys on uh, the internet recently and referred to me as what's-his-name. So I'm going to try to just play it straight-laced for a little while. Ben, did they steal your thunder? Have they robbed you of your mojo? I don't know. I I don't want to feel thunderless. How are we going to get your groove back? Well, we're going to rely on the help of our super producer, Casey Pegram. As always. And that sound always gets my groove right up. (laughs) So we have a pretty fascinating show for you today, folks, uh, because it came about uh, through a somewhat circuitous fashion. And who better to help us explain the story of how we got to this episode for today than our returning special guest, friends and neighbors, Christopher Hasiotis. Hey, everybody. Hey, Casey. Hey, Noel. Hey, what's your name? Too soon, man. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. It's never too soon. We've got to nurture, Ben. Do we? We do. Okay. That's we do. Very, it's not that's, my contract. This is a safe space. Yeah. <laughs> that's very the shipping kind. container is a, sa- is a safe space. Fine, fine. So we love having you on the show, Christopher, and we always have uh, a bang-up time whenever you bless us with some historical knowledge. But in our conversations off-air, the four of us were – you know, we were kicking around ideas. What should we explore on air today? And you recently returned from a trip to Washington. Yeah, that's Washington State. I was out in Seattle for PodCon 2, which is a podcast convention, uh, podcast conference. So kind of diving into the uh, weird, strange, growing world of podcasting. Uh, headed out there was a very sort of DIY scene. Um, a lot of great creators, a lot of great podcasters. 
uh, Aaron Mankey, who's got some shows over here on our network. He was out there. Mm-hmm. And um, it was my first time in Seattle. And uh, I know you've got your goal of doing a show about every state. So I don't know if this really counts that I was in Washington <laughs> and we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about. I don't know that it counts for Washington, but it, that's up to you. I don't make your rules. I just sit in the back and judge from a distance. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were out there and and that trip to uh, Seattle, to Washington State, made me think, hey, what's this place named after? <laughs> it's named after a guy. Did you have a guess? You know, it wasn't named after an apple. Okay. It wasn't named after a city on the other side of the nation. And it wasn't named after George Washington Carver. It wasn't. No. President numero uno, George Washington himself. He's our so, guy. Yeah, that, I, I thought there's a there's a lot of cool stuff that we can talk about when it comes to George Washington. He's a you know revered statesman, uh, our first president, a mm-hmm. general, super military commander. Um, you may know him for his fake teeth, his cherry tree. We can get into all of that and whether that actually. Happened. Quite a snappy dresser. Mm-hmm. Well, weren't weren't they all? Sure, but I he mean, had a he had a particularly honed in fashion true. sense. I mean, during their paintings, they did. Yeah, exactly. We don't know what they wore on a regular Thursday. Yeah, I mean, the the paintings, the things that are on the the dollar bill, that's essentially like the Instagram of the time. It's what they wanted <laughs> to put forth. You know, you can be looking at someone's Instagram feed and they're happy they're with their significant other, and you have no idea that they're going through uh, financial troubles and dealing with a mortgage and they're about to break up. Looks like the life is great. So Oof. things just got real <laughs> took deep. A turn yeah, there. yeah, sorry. <laughs> not not speaking from personal experience here, right. but um, yeah. So maybe uh, you know, that's one of the nice things about paintings. You can put the best foot forward. You can work a lot of symbolism into it. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden, we're talking art theory. But let's uh, let's get back to George. Yeah, let's get back to George. One thing I want to mention that I think is a very uh, classy aspect of his character. Uh, he refused to become king. Right? There were proposals early on in the days of the founding of the nation. And people said, George, you're great. And he's like, oh, oh, stop, keep going, stop, no, keep going. And they said, you should be king. And he said, nah, I, I, guys, we're kind of missing the point. Mm-hmm. And that is, in my opinion, uh, something that speaks very highly to his character and his reputation. But along the way, as we decided to uh, explore the life of George Washington, we also decided – to not not do the basic origin story, life and times, and then uh, death, we decided to look into some of the strangest, weirdest things the average person might not know about George Washington. And previously on the show, Noel, you and I had bantered back and forth about the misconceptions surrounding Washington's teeth or his uh, his his allegedly wooden teeth. Seahorse teeth. It was straight seahorse teeth. <laughs> hey, nice. Yeah. Bringing it back. Bring it back. No, but seriously, I mean, that was a time where it was absolutely a thing to have animal teeth as dentures. Also, I think the episode in question was about using the teeth of fallen soldiers mm-hmm. um, for That's dentures. Correct, yeah. And then we, we, we discovered that seahorse teeth weren't actually the teeth of tiny, tiny seahorses. <laughs> that was just what they called hippopotamuses. They called them seahorses. And Christopher, in case you missed it, now straight seahorse teeth is one of our new catchphrases. It's just like saying something's dope. Yeah. Super dope. Mm-hmm. Straight seahorse teeth yeah. AF. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You okay. You, you picked it up so quickly. Super easy. Somehow it, it sounds like it sounds better when you say it. Straight seahorse teeth. Straight seahorse teeth. It's hard to say Straight repeatedly. Wow, see? <laughs> ah, you couldn't do it. Christ, couldn't do it my yeah. friend. You could not do it. Well, that, no, that just means if I, if I had, I would have conjured like a little demon seahorse right here that would have 
messed up this studio something fierce. Sort of a homunculus type. Yeah. <laughs> a bit of a a bit of a quizster. Please don't. Kidding, kidding, kidding. Okay. Have Hopefully. you ever been present for the quizster? Uh I feel like he's here right now. Sorry, he, listeners, he's he, not. He usually is. He kind of does sort of that exorcisty mm-hmm. type thing where he just sort of clings to the ceiling where mm-hmm. his, and his head rotates and looks at us downward. It's a whole thing. He's kind of the NSA of how stuff works. You know, he's he's always around. But uh, he would agree with us, I, I hazard, that George Washington is an amazing guy who lived an astonishing life. We know the gist. Christopher, I think you set it up uh, quite nicely for us. George Washington, born February 22nd, 1732, passed away December 14th, 1799. But in that span of time, he lived quite a full life. And there are so many facts about him. There are so many misconceptions. He is he has moved from the realm of earthly creatures into the world of myth in many ways. And we decided to each find some lesser-known aspects of George Washington's life and times and uh, share them with each other and share them with you listening today. When did you say his birthday was, Ben? February 22nd. So apparently that in and of itself— is a misconception. Is that the case? Yeah. I, according to this Mental Floss article, 25 things you might not have known about George Washington, his actual birthday was February 11th, that's 1731. Right. Wow, but that's that's a that's a calendar thing we're talking here, right? This is true because it has to do with the Gregorian calendar versus the Julian calendar. Mm-hmm. But it's just, I don't know. I just thought that was funny. That is, that is great. the man Cal- is shrouded in mystery. Calendars are weird anyway. Also you know? true. So you're right. The colony switched from the Gregorian calendar to the Julian calendar and his birthday was moved 11 days. I wonder which of those answers is the acceptable answer in a trivia game. That's a good question. I think it depends on the trivia host and how how deep into nerditude you want to get. I was about to put a call out to any trivia host in the audience. Is there a code amongst trivia hosts as to this kind of thing? How pedantic is too pedantic? For some of the trivia games I've been to, it's never too pedantic. That's fair. Okay. And it depends on how much beer you've had. Yeah, oh, also true. So February 11th, 1731, but then it changed to uh, February 22nd, 1732. It actually also changed in terms of the year. And as you said, Noel, this is just the beginning of the, of the uh, historical mysteries surrounding George Washington. We learned uh, some fascinating, quick one-off trivia things. You pointed out something interesting about his name, Christopher. Yeah, uh, George Washington. That's his name. That's it. No Wait, middle what name. Are you, what are you saying? No middle name. Just George. That's that's illegal. Just George. That's not. Uh, that's not okay. <laughs> George Washington. What happened? What more do you need? That's he made a statement. You know, he's not Prince. He's not Madonna. He's George Washington. This he's this, not George <sighs> Stephen Washington. This begs the question of when did the middle name start and why? Why is why do people get so hung up on a middle name? Because my reaction there was very real and visceral, but now I'm questioning it. You know, there is another president who had a middle name made up. It was. Um, Are we talking Truman's situation here? It was. Yeah, it was a fake middle initial, right? Well, there's uh, there's some dispute about Harry S. Truman. Uh, a lot of, and again, this kind of gets back to Noel's favorite pedantic trivia folks. But you know, people will often claim Harry S. Truman. He did not have a period after the S in his name, and that's the way it is. And you know, it's the kind of people who love to jump down your throat on the internet and say, like, well, technically, 
Actually. Actually. Those are our people. The, yeah. they, they can be, but those, you know, it can be a little aggressive. It can be a little off-putting if you are always looking to correct other people and to shape the world into the way you see it, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, Harry S. Truman, sometimes he signed his name with a period after the S. So, again, it's one of those things that's not consistent and um, left to the uh, the mysteries of the history. And just to stay in keeping with the pedantry of, of, our, of our people here, uh, the middle name actually began in the Middle Ages. And it had to do with families not being able to decide whether to give their kids a family name mm-hmm. or a religious name. So they were able to give them both. And it's different in other cultures, right? Exactly. So – not to focus too much on on President Truman in our George Washington episode, which we are endeavoring to count as our Washington State episode. I don't know. Uh, you know what? Let's let's I give don't know. let's give it a go. Let's give it a go. I I think we can we can always leave the door open to do another Washington episode. But while we're filling out our fifty, I say, who's going to stop us? Who? Well, not me, apparently. <laughs> oh, Chris. <laughs> so so uh, Harry S. Truman. According to the story, when he was born in 1884, his parents couldn't decide on a middle name, so they went with the letter S to honor his paternal grandfather and his maternal grandfather, a ship and a Solomon, uh, respectively. When he took the presidential oath of office, the Chief Justice Harlan F. Stone said, I, Harry Ship Truman, and the president replied, I, Harry S. Truman. So... We buttoned that up. Well, does that mean he actually was never president, as folks said about Obama when there was like a little bit of a discrepancy during the swearing in? I don't know. Probably not because cable news did not exist in the day. And Twitter (laughs) was not a thing, thankfully, for Mr. Harry S. Truman. This is a good point you make. And now we return to uh, George Washington having solved the case of Harry S. Truman's frankly fake presidency. Right, that's not a sweeping statement. He had at all. to make an appearance. <laughs> he, he he just couldn't couldn't leave well enough alone. Harry S. Truman. He's the quister of <laughs> he's the quister of American presidents. He really, really is. So George Washington. Yeah. No, no middle. I mean, is there more behind the story, or is that is that where the story ends? There may be. Okay, and yeah. I'll leave you with that. It'll be a cliffhanger because that's then. what I know. I like it. I, I like that. Well I like done. I like this uh, mysterious air we are uh, we are creating in today's episode. But we are not just going to present mysteries for the entirety of the show. We do have some fascinating facts that you may not have learned in your school years. Uh, and I think that I think we're we're all on the same page. But how, how do we want to start, guys? Oh, I thought we were we were already off to the races. We're off to the races. Okay, yeah, let's. Was uh, that your first one, Christopher? That or? wasn't. No, that had nothing to do. That's We're just, just bantering that's now. That's just trivia. That's this just, is just banter. Wow. This is just good times. Oh, this is going to be a good one, you guys. Okay, who wants <laughs> to go first? I, I propose that Christopher goes first. I think that's fair. Think? Here I am. Yep. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes. You heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. 
You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com where America goes to hire. All right, well, we started off talking about George Washington's birth, his birth date, and the the change of that. So let's just fast forward. Let's skip all the rest, and let's go straight to the end of his life. So Bummer. Yeah, no, I mean, he's not dead yet. Okay. He's not dead yet. It's twilight years. He's almost dead. He's not dead yet. So in 1797, George Washington leaves the presidency. What's he going to do with his life? He decides... There's an actual quote from one of his biographers, George Washington, when he leaves the presidency, he wants his retirement to be, quote, more tranquil and freer from cares, end quote. Yeah. Sounds nice. He wants to to chill. Yeah, Yeah. more tranquil, freer from cares. And he's, he's of course, doing this on his palatial estate, Mount Vernon, right? Yeah, Mount Vernon, which is – it's south of where D.C. is now. It's on the Virginia side of the Potomac River. It's his, um, his estate of tens of thousands of acres. And while there, in his in his final days, he's retired. He has a man managing the plantation, a Scottish immigrant named James Anderson. Now, this plantation manager had a background and a training in distillation. He made booze. So Anderson suggests to Washington, hey, Washington, hey, George Washington, if you're going to use the full name, why not start making some booze? So we almost had George Washington whiskey. Mm. And the country did for a long time. So George Washington died in 1799. He'd left the presidency in 1797. For those last couple, two and a half years of his life, he started a distillery in Mount Vernon. It ended up being one of the largest distilleries in the Americas at the time by 1798. By early 1799, which is the year he ended up dying at the end of that year in December, they were producing 11,000 gallons of whiskey. Now, whiskey became really popular because – in the 1780s and during the Revolutionary period, rum was the drink of choice. Soldiers were given rations of rum, sometimes whiskey. But essentially, it became problematic importing a lot of the sugar cane from the West Indies to create rum. 
So this homegrown liquor, whiskey, became much more popular. And, um, yeah, there's a distillery right there that Washington ran. His signature whiskey was made with 65% rye, 30% corn, and 5% barley. And wasn't it considered a non-aged rye? Yeah, it was that just was, it was it was distilled and ready to go. It didn't last it. years and years. Um, you know, a lot of the the whiskeys you can buy now and the ryes, they're aged in oak barrels. They're given that's a, how it gets the color. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. They're they mature over a long period of time. And they develop more flavor. But um, no, I mean this stuff was distilled right away and sold. So doesn't that mean it was almost a little bit closer to something like moonshine or moonshine. white lightning? Yeah, well, pretty mm-hmm. much, pretty much. Um, and it was sold, but it wasn't bottled. It wasn't sold in. Uh, Cans or pouches or anything like that. It was just packaged in barrels. Wait, and, pouches? Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think of how you could have like, how, a, like a juice box. Yeah, exactly. A whiskey? Yeah. whiskey pouch, like a you know one of those little foil Capri Sun kind of things. Old uh, George whiskey, whiskey pouch, Washington. I'm sure, it's the kind of thing you could find at like the I don't know fire festival or something. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> yeah. How was it sold? Uh, it was just sold in barrels straight straight to uh, taverns. They would buy a, a whole barrel of this. Of this whiskey. Uh, they didn't just make whiskey, though. They also made other kinds of brandy on the side. There was a peach brandy, an apple brandy, a persimmon brandy. And they would also take um, the the leavings of that and make vinegar. Mm. They would take all the grains that had fermented and feed those to the pigs that lived on Mount Vernon. So it's a sort of cyclical, sustainable, good way to use what you've grown. Also wildly successful. In his final days, George Washington was becoming one of the preeminent whiskey barons in the United States. The only thing that really derailed the company and one of the reasons why we don't have uh, Washington whiskey as as a massive legacy institution in the country today is he died in 1799. So after he died, the distillery was passed to Martha, his wife's granddaughter and her husband. Uh, But a fire in 1814 burned down the distillery and that was pretty much the end of the operation. So that that really put the uh, final screw in the tombstone. Wait, what? Nail in the coffin. <laughs> there what, you go. Yeah. I like screw in the tombstone. I like screw in the tombstone. Sure, That's why good. not? It's more secure than a nail. Well, yeah, it's one of those IKEA tombstones, I think. <laughs> and now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong in this, or maybe you have a better timeline, but they're back at it again at Mount Vernon. They are. They're back mm-hmm. at it. Yeah, a couple years ago, within the last ten years, they reopened the distillery at his historic home. Uh, I don't know if they're using the exact same. Uh, techniques and methods, but it's in the same place. And yeah, the Washington distillery is up and running, probably not going to give some of the other notable names in the whiskey world today a run for their money. But if you go visit Washington's historic Mount Vernon, you can definitely sample the whiskey. Come for the history, stay for the whiskey. I thought you were going to say whiskery. Whiskery. I love pronouncing that hard H. Uh, according to mountvernon.org, um, you can buy a bottle of this stuff for about $98, Oof, which, all right. which ain't cheap. U.S. Um, and they refer to the recipe as the mash bill, which must have been the old-timey way of referring to this <laughs> I uh, love that. whiskey recipe. Yeah. And it is um, using the same recipe that they found in the ledgers from the original distillery. That's so, great. I, I, would lo- I would love to take a road trip up there. I'd I think it would be a lot of fun if we could buy not just a bottle, mm-hmm. you know, because you couldn't buy a bottle then, so they're being a little ahistorical. I would just love to just load up a barrel. And bring it back to the office? Get a whole barrel. That's what yeah. the studio is missing. This would not be our first time sampling some tipple from George Whiskey Pouch Washington. I believe we've mentioned on previous episodes, a good friend of ours, our co-worker, uh, producer Alex Williams, is known around How Stuff Works for making, uh, toward the end of the year, making a an historically accurate version of George Washington's famous eggnog. And 
just between us, folks. That stuff packs a punch. Oh, man, it's boozy. And uh, the, the last little uh, direction in the recipe, the best part, it says to let set in cool place for several days and taste frequently. <laughs> As one does with just about anything in your cool place. There you go. I think it would startle most of us in the modern age to travel back in time to the days of the founding fathers and see just how much and how often they drank. Yeah. It's insane. I would say there was never a sober moment. <laughs> I'll point out, though, that, you know, we're talking about George Washington's distillery and his recipes. Again, this was a man who commanded an entire plantation. So he was kind of up at the head. This wasn't Washington himself sitting in there in, in the distilling room, tinkering with a recipe, coming up with what he most favored. This wasn't really a passion project for him. It was a way for him to make money at the end of his life sure. because he wasn't nearly as rich as some people may have thought he was. He wrote to a nephew who was asking him for money. Yeah, I'll give you this loan, but I'm not made of money like most people think I am. Mm-hmm. So this this was really a, a project of James Anderson, the plantation manager, as well as six enslaved Africans who were the ones doing the actual hard labor of making mm-hmm. this this distilled liquor. Getting none of the credit. No, and uh, and we'll we'll get back to Washington's enslaved staff soon. Yes, that's that's foreshadowing. Also, before we get too into the disturbing facts of Washington's life, I have a proposal for us on the show. Why don't we hunt for a middle name for George Washington in the course of this episode as we learn stuff? So right now we've got Mash Bill, which yeah. I think is great. I'm a fan of Seahorse Teeth. Seahorse Teeth, I think that's great too. One word? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But that's I'll, a hyphenate. Yeah, okay. I also like Whiskey Pouch. <laughs> because it makes him seem so disreputable. It's very good. <laughs> can I can I suggest George? George George Washington? Why not? That sounds like an 80s singer. <laughs> <laughs> it's George George Washington. Uh yeah, let's see let's see what we find. These are all some great contenders, uh, but we are just setting off on our weird Washington journey. Uh what do, what do you think you, you do you have one? Do you want to go? Do you, you want, want to flip for it? You want a Rochambeau for it? Sure. Okay. It's mm. one, two, three, go. We've yeah. got Christopher as a witness. Yeah, you go. All ready? right. Ready? One, two, two three, three, go. Oh, I so, win. Yeah, win. No, no one gets the scissors. Scissors cut. Does that mean, Noel, you get to choose what you do? Does that mean you go or oh, you we get didn't to establish assign? that. I it's think, up to you, man. Uh, I'd like you to go, Ben. Okay. Uh, I have something that is a bit strange, but will be old beans to people who also are fans of our other show, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. George Washington, you see, had any number of extracurricular activities, one of which was Freemasonry. George Washington became a master mason in 1753, and ever since, this has driven more fringe or conspiratorial researchers uh, further and further into the depths of speculation. He was a young Virginia planter when he became a master mason in Fredericksburg, Virginia, Masonic Lodge Number 4. He was only 21 years old, and soon he would command his first military operation as a major in the Virginia colonial militia. We know, I think, basically what Freemasonry is. It's evolved from the practices and rituals of stonemasons guilds in the Middle Ages, and it was still a, a powerful force in America, even, even during the time of tension and the later the, in the war for independence against the British Empire. The first American Masonic Lodge was founded in Philadelphia in 1730. And do you know who was a founding member of that? It's pretty easy to guess. 
Is it old Benny Franks? It is. It is. It is. It's the old libertine himself. So for a lot of people, this association would seem to indicate that there's something at work behind the behind the screen of history, right? That Freemasonry was involved in the American Revolution or that people were acting under orders of the Masonic organization. But really, for George Washington, joining the Masons was a rite of passage and it was sort of an exercise of his civic responsibility. After he became a master Mason, again at the age of 21, he had the option of passing through a number of additional rites that would take him to higher degrees, that would place him higher in the hierarchy of Masonry. In 1788, shortly before he became the first president of the U.S., he was elected the first worshipful master of Alexandria Lodge number 22. And he was not alone in this. As you pointed out, Benjamin Franklin was also a Mason, as uh, were Paul Revere, John Hancock, the Marquis de Lafayette of the Hamilton musical fame, and the Boston Tea Party saboteurs. And Masonic rites were in play. They were witnessed at events like Washington's inauguration, the laying of the cornerstone of the U.S. Capitol building in Washington, D.C. D.C., again, is a city supposedly designed with a lot of Masonic symbols in mind. You have to admit, the Washington Monument is pretty abstract. You know what I mean? It definitely looms large in the horizon in a very sinister way if you're walking around in the mall at night. Mm -hmm. It kind of gives me the creeps, to be honest. I, I think the whole idea of conspiracy and, and the Masonic Lodge and all that, it's, it doesn't really take into account the reality of the situation at the mm-hmm. time. It's, it, now, in the 2000s, it's easy to look back and think, oh, my gosh, all these people knew each other. They were all part of the same organization. Everything ties into everything. But the reality is the population of the colonies at the time was so small compared to what what we have today, yeah. right? So, I mean, essentially, you're talking about a population in terms of the landowners and the the white European immigrants or settlers. We're talking tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Essentially, these are small towns or small cities. So, mm-hmm. everyone's going to know everyone, especially if you're near the top of the uh, the upper echelon of society. It's Absolutely. not quite as nefarious uh, cabal creating as it sounds. Absolutely not. That's that's the thing. In many ways, it's a social club. These people are sharing their interests. And do they talk about things that they want to do? Like, do they talk about political goals or business ideas? Of course they do, because that's what friends do when they hang out with each other. You know, they talk about the things they care about and the things that they're working on. I enjoy this theory, and I especially appreciate, Christopher, your pointing out that it's easy for us to look back in retrospect and perhaps see patterns where none actually exist. You know what I mean? A lot of history is coincidence. The human species is not chock full of amazing planners with very complicated schemes. No, everything in the past looks like it unfolded in a way that it was meant to and in a way that made sense, but that's because that's the way we know how things unfolded. There are innumerable other ways things could have happened and other paths history could have taken that if we travel down those timelines would make this one look particularly ridiculous or strange. <laughs> but guys, you're completely overlooking the blood magic rituals to Moloch. Oh, I mean. That they did on the regular. Yeah, but that's, I mean, oh, I we thought, do that. I thought Wait. you were talking about the one that I was going to do later. Oh, oh. Is I'm Casey sorry. still taping this? I didn't, mean, we, I didn't mean to blow up y'all's spot. You like guys that. are coming, right? Well, I didn't get an invite. I brought snacks. 
I love a good snack. <laughs> I mean, come for the Moloch, stay for the snacks. That's what I'll do. Uh, one last thing about Freemasonry in George Washington in D.C. I have such a fun time imagining the pitch meeting for building the Washington Monument and say, okay, we think he's the greatest president. We think he's the first president. We need something that really says this man was <laughs> the first president. And, you know, they, they go back and forth, and someone says, well, maybe a statue of the guy? And they go, ah, uh, I like the idea of something like a, a, a big structure. Okay, okay. Maybe like he's on a horse or yeah, a as, as, as you like to say, Ben, no, let's get weird with it. That's exactly it. Yeah, they said, let's get, let's get weird with it. Have you guys heard of uh, like uh, obelisk? And they go, you mean obelisk like a dude like in Egypt? Right on. And that was history. I am mostly kidding because if you look into the story of the Washington Monument, which could be its own episode, they had uh, much more ambitious plans. And what we see today is essentially a compromise in scaling down. Again, the story of our nation and, and the story of our history is compromises – half-baked plans that in retrospect look like what should have happened. But in reality, we're just uh, thrown together at the time with no real idea of what ramifications would come to pass mm -hmm. decades down the line. I mean, look at anything involving, well, we don't need to get into health insurance and <laughs> tax law and all sorts of compromises made in, in Congress. But um, yeah, we, we are just a collection of mistakes and bumbles through through the years. Some of which have incredible staying power. <laughs> yes, very much so. Much like a monument itself to our first president. I would argue maybe they just want, were like, how are we going to remind people that he was the first president? Let's This, this looks a, like a big number one. A gigantic, a gigantic number, number one. one. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, was we'll it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It is a wise man who marries a wiser woman. 
But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's reset just a second here because it occurs to me that we may be well on the way to making something that sounds like a hit piece on George Washington because he's a whiskey tycoon. He's a Freemason. He's a slave owner. He's a slave owner. Yeah, we can't forget that part. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't all complicated, weird, problematic stuff. Uh, he, ha- he had some other notable wins. And I don't think being a whiskey tycoon is that bad. I have nothing wrong with that. I, I, it's I endorse mainly the it. slave I, labor, I think, that bothers me. And, yeah. You know, and it's also one of those things where it's I, – I can't even – fall behind the whole it was just how everyone was doing it it was the, the t- no, it was a different time i no. mean the thing is he he also was a pretty forward thinking individual in so many ways in fact he was so influential in creating the structure that is very much still a part of our military today that he was posthumously given this title um the general of the armies of the united states that is forever unoutrankable yeah it's yeah. total total god mode you know you mm-hmm. can't Let's say they create seven-star generals, eight-star generals, nine-star generals in the next couple of years. Those still will be underneath Washington. Kind of a, similar in some ways to the eternal president of the DPRK, Kim Il-sung. But we didn't call him eternal president. We just called him general of everything. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to remember about Washington that – and and most of the, the men back then, this was the first time they were doing the he, – he was setting the – Precedent for the president. The presidential precedent. Exactly. And so, yeah, he the, the way he acted, the choices he made, the statements he put forth, they set the stage for what we've had what we've had over the past several hundred years leading up to today. And it's important to keep in mind that anyone who's given that sort of authority carries weight. They embody what a country is moving forward. And that actually played into some of the misconceptions about Washington because his biographers said, we we don't need just a man. We need a myth. So we're going to invent this whole thing about the cherry tree. We're going to make up some stories to make him larger than life. That was his biographer uh, Weems. What was Weems. His, yeah. Biographer slash mythologizer. That's right. Absolutely. And and just blatantly like made it up. Not, not uh, fudged it a little bit. Some of the stuff was just made up to make him larger than life. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I, I honestly very, very frequently confuse the myth of the cherry tree mm-hmm. with uh, Abe Lincoln because everyone called him Honest Abe. So I, I sometimes conflate those stories because he also was a very larger than life figure who grew up poor and mm-hmm. in kind of more of a rural setting. Mm-hmm. And is it also, uh, similar to Washington, he has a real underdog story because Lincoln ran unsuccessfully for office. That's right. Multiple times. That's right. You know, so people love to see some perseverance. Oh, man, we're, I think we're doing pretty well here so far. We've got, we're, we're drawing in Truman, we're drawing in Lincoln. Well, um, you remember earlier, Christopher, when you were talking about how the United States was sort of a, a agglomeration of half-baked ideas. I remember that. I, I, I look forward to the emails. Speaking of half-baked <laughs> ideas, Washington smoked a lot of weed. No, that's not true. But he grew a lot of hemp. That yeah. is true. That part is true. 
I was waiting for that. I needed to do that callback. <laughs> I had to do it. Thank you for supplying me with that. No, You're it's welcome. true. Um, he, the, hemp was one of uh, his main cash crops well before he got into the whiskey trade. On Mount Vernon, um, he grew copious amounts of hemp, which is marijuana, but it is a slightly different strain of marijuana. It doesn't contain the psychoactive substance THC or it's very, very, very low, uh, tetrahydrocannabinols. Um, and it was used historically um, for making ropes. It was a fantastic fiber. You used the stem. It had these, uh, it, they grew it so it would have these elongated strands, these fibers in the stems, um, as opposed to the plants that were grown to smoke, or you would think of the ones that are grown today to smoke are much shorter, less hardy plants. Um, they look a little more like little bushes. But he grew fields of this stuff in an area on Mount Vernon that he called the Muddy Hole. The Muddy Hole. The Muddy Hole. And it was because it was a very uh, sought-after substance because it was used to make – they even referred to ropes in those days as hemp's. They call them like sailing hemp's, like for uh, all, all the riggings in, in various uh, types of vessels. And he um, would have continued to grow it if he hadn't have done some kind of shrewd calculations and realized that actually wheat was probably a more profitable crop to um, use his land for. But yeah, he, he grew it for quite some time. And as it turns out, mm. in the very same way that Mount Vernon is now back to distilling whiskey. Mashville. Mashville, yeah. Um, they're also now growing hemp. Yeah, as of 2018, right? That's they, right. They harvested their first hemp crop in centuries, I believe. And the interesting thing is, is that hemp, even though it doesn't contain uh, very high levels of, of the psychoactive uh, substance at all, were outlawed and made a Schedule One drug right alongside um, the uh, more, you know, trippy counterparts. Um, so growing hemp was outlawed. But it's not the same thing, right? I mean, they're, they're, yeah. these plants are cousins. They're related. But that's like if you had prohibition of alcohol and all of a sudden you couldn't serve cough syrup at a drugstore, right? Because just because it has a little bit of alcohol in it. We're kind of on the same thing. Like, like people are overreacting and, and bunching things together. Very, very, very similar. But if you look at a, a field of hemp, it looks like a field of marijuana plants. Okay. I mean, they're very, very similar. And in fact, so what I was, what I was getting to is in 2014, there was a farm bill that passed that allowed um, research for growing hemp. And some states have uh, legalized, essentially, limited hemp farming. And another bill that passed in the Senate in 2018 um, was going to allow for full legalization. I don't know if that one has has gone through yet or not. I'll have to do a little more follow-up on that. But the point is, you can get um, – there's another substance, a compound that's in marijuana and hemp. It's called CBD, which uh, you may have read a lot of research about. People use it for anxiety. It can treat a lot of different uh, ailments and just kind of has become a very popular – um, kind of remedy that people are using. And it is legal in states where marijuana is not legal because you can get it from hemp. It's pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, no, there's no evidence. A lot of other founding fathers grew hemp too, like John Adams and Thomas mm -hmm. Jefferson. Um, but there is no evidence showing that any of them ever tried to, to smoke. Yeah, it. it's, it's a useful crop. And it's a, it might be a disappointment to your stoner buddy out there who's saying, oh, Washington and the founding fathers had hemp. We need to legalize everything. It's not quite the same thing, but it, it does argue for nuance. It argues for understanding the uses of plants and that uh, that any one plant or one species can have different applications. Mm -hmm. 
Well said. And also just a, a soft historical note there. I don't believe any form of cannabis was actually Schedule One until the 1970s. That's right. So it's relatively yeah. recent, right? Yeah. And I mean, we are definitely in a sea change of uh, legalization sweeping the nation right now, which is a pretty fascinating time to be around with so many of these changes coming so quickly. Um, there's actually a pretty great, great quote in this article from the Smithsonian that uh, talks about the first hemp crop um, being harvested at Mount Vernon recently uh, from this fellow by the name of John Hudak, who says, I think where we're at right now is a situation in which finally a lot of members of Congress have finally stopped buying drug war era rhetoric, stopped thinking about the cannabis plant in a very uniform way. So very much uh, supports your point, Christopher. And fascinating for all of our listeners outside of the U.S. and my friends who live in different countries, it's, it's a weird process to explain to them uh, that you can be arrested for one thing in one state and it's completely fine in another. And you can hop a flight for a few hours and and be in a place where you're in the same country, but the laws are completely different. And I kind of have a feeling that old George Washington might have had issues with prohibition of any kind. You know? Being that he liked his whiskey and he liked his hemp and, you know, seemed like a, you know, civil liberties kind of fellow, you know? I don't know. I I wonder what he would have to say. As long as it applied to white landowners. Well, okay, that's fair. It was a different time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and there there is historical record of of Washington— complaining about soldiers who were drunkards, who uh, consumed too much, who overindulged. And that's been argued by some that Washington was a little more uptight than you might be led to believe. But to me, in reading what he actually said and wrote, it looks more like he was against the overindulgence, not the actual substance itself. He didn't assign a moral value to alcohol or to whatever might have been smoked. Mm -hmm. You know what else he wasn't? An evangelical. He was actually very a-religious. He was yeah. a very moral man and had a real code that he lived by, but he was not a uh, strict adherent to uh, any form of religion that has been made clear in, in the record. Which he had um, he had these sorts of beliefs placing rational morality over spiritually motivated morality in common with some other founding fathers like Jefferson and his famous Jefferson Bible where he, rele- he removes everything that he thought was remotely supernatural. Which is a story for another day. Okay, so we, we've painted a, a pretty in-depth picture right now. And, and just, to, just to recap, we've got a, a whiskey tycoon who is also a Freemason who is also a hemp farmer. Hemp tycoon? Is that fair? It seems like he was testing it a little bit more, and, and then, then he kind of, like, switched over to grain. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. He definitely made some money, and it, it turns out, too, that the it became a very profitable export because the Brits really relied on it. Mm-hmm. They were actually growing it a lot when uh, the colonies were still under British control, and they relied on that from them. So when they split, they turned it into a much more of a uh, business-like exchange. Oh, hang on, guys. Hang on. Casey, could we get a like a game show out of time sound effect? Perfect. What's going on? Well, it turns out, Christopher, that we have made a game time decision. We are running low on time, so we want to give this topic the justice it deserves, which means that we are in for a spontaneous two-parter. What do you guys say? Oh, my gosh. I love it when you actually decide it's going to be a two-parter in real time as opposed to <laughs> post-mortem, you know? I, wait, Ben, what's going on? It sounds like you've just got to get out of here. You don't want to hang out with us for an, another couple hours and talk about George Washington? I, I do, I do. Uh, and through the magic of editing, we'll do that in a later episode. Okay, okay, okay. 
Because as we know, in the podcast world, time is but an illusion. Mm -hmm. A flat circle indeed, yes. right? We've actually been here in the studio for about 12 hours we've, talking about George Washington. We've always been here. Mm -hmm. Here we are. Check in anytime you like. But you can never leave. We're kidding. This will mark the end of part one of our George Washington and Washington State episode, technically. But this will not mark the end of the show. Please tune in for our next episode when we explore even more strange, obscure facts about the first president of the United States. In the meantime, you can say hello to Casey, Noel, Christopher, and myself on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Hit us up with your favorite strange historical facts. And if you want to hang out with our favorite part of the show, your fellow listeners, visit us on our community community page, Ridiculous Historians, on Facebook. If you want a little tiny peek into our relatively run-of-the-mill lives, but, you know, we do some cool things every now and then, you can check me out at Embryonic Insider on Instagram. And I am at Ben Bullen on Instagram, 100% uh, Moloch-free uh, photo content so far. It's good to know. Until the next episode comes out, I'm just going to be sitting here pulling dollar bills out of my wallet. Very, very few dollar bills. Mr. Moneybags. Just staring at George. Staring at George, wanting to talk about him with you guys again soon. I can't wait. Do you have any plugs you'd like to plug? I do have some plugs. If you want to find me on Instagram, I'm at Hasiotis. That's H-A-S-S-I-O-T-I-S. -S -S -I -I and uh, we all hang out on the Ridiculous Historians Facebook page. We'll be there, too. In the meantime, we would like to thank, of course, our super producer, Casey Pegram. We would like to thank Alex Williams, who composed our track. We'd like to thank our pal Gabe, who helps us out with research. And, of course, we'd like to thank Christopher Hasiotis, our incredible guest uh, and uh, lifelong pal. Noel, thank you. Casey, thanks. And if one of you guys would thank What's-His-Name over here for me, I'd appreciate it. <sighs> we'll see you next time. comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.